0: Take an existing word, and you remove a prefix or a suffix, and you get a new word.
1: When a word is coined based on the imitation of a sound that the object it describes or the action it describes makes.
0: Coming up on Word Matters, a look at two especially interesting ways that words come to be. I'm Emily Brewster, and Word Matters is produced by Merriam-Webster in collaboration with New England Public Media. On each episode... Merriam-Webster editors Neil Servan, Amon Shea, Peter Sokolowski, and I explore some aspect of the English language from the dictionary's vantage point. At Merriam-Webster, we love to visit the newborn words in the newborn word nursery, where we marvel at their tiny fingernails and coo over their creation stories. Especially charming are the creation stories involving onomatopoeia, That's when a word is formed in imitation of a sound. Think buzz or pop. And like buzz and pop, these words sometimes embark on careers distinct from their initial imitative roles. Here's Neil Servan with some words that started as onomatopoeia and went on to live less obvious lives.
1: We talk about the different ways that words enter the language, and I think one of the more fun ways that we learn in school is through what we call onomatopoeia. And that is when a word is coined based on the imitation of a sound that the object it describes or the action it describes makes. You think from the old Batman cartoon, the sound effects that (laughs) would appear on screen whenever there was a fight scene. It would be pow and thwack. Those are sound effects, but obviously words like snap, crackle, and pop from Rice Krispies, the sound of the cereal. But the word snap sounds like a finger snapping. The word crackle sounds like something crackling, like a a fire, perhaps. It's not a coincidence that these words stick in our language because they're very close to the image of the word. They're very close to the sound that they make and the memory of the word when we think of the impact of the word to say something went pow or when the car beeped its horn. you You hear that high pitch of the car's horn by the choice of the verb beep with its long e. A particular angle to onomatopoeia that really strikes me as interesting is when a word enters the language as onomatopoeia and then extends in meaning to refer to something apart from the sound that it's meant to imitate. I think of the word buzz. We think of bees. We think of aircraft. There's a certain sound we think of when we talk about buzzing, but we now use buzz To refer to things beyond that, we use it to refer to rumor. We use it to refer to gossip when there's a lot of buzz about the singer's new album. We have a meaning in the dictionary that says speculative or excited talk or attention relating especially to a new or forthcoming product or event. You would think it doesn't refer to bees. You would think it doesn't refer to airplanes or saws. One of the things it might refer to is things like a phone buzzing with alerts. That's how you get your news now when you get alert to something from an app that you've subscribed to, your phone will buzz. I do believe this sense of buzz does come from before smartphones, but I'm not entirely sure. I imagine a
0: crowd of people talking and the sound of those voices buzzing. The buzz of conversation.
1: The buzz of the crowd, right? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But these are the kind of examples of onomatopoeia that really interest me. And another example I think of is the term jingle, which originally refers to the high-pitched sound made by light metals that are making contact with each other. So you think of the jingle of coins in your pocket, but you also think of the jingle of sleigh bells, and that's why we hear the word jingle in a number of Christmas songs, because the sound of sleigh bells jingling is a trope of Christmas. It's what we think of when we think of Christmas activities. So we have jingle bells, jingle bell rock, and jingle appears in a number of Christmas songs. Now, though... We use jingle in advertising. We talk about an advertising jingle. It is something that is supposed to be catchy. It is a song or a line that is just supposed to be catchy and to be remembered. And usually there's some kind of repetitive aspect to the jingle. that might be a rhyme or alliteration that kind of makes it stick in your head. It might be a tune that sticks in your head. How many times have you had certain advertising songs in (laughs) your head long after the product stopped being advertised? So... That was another example of an onomatopoeia that then took on a succinct meaning that was apart from the sound of metal clinking on a sleigh or in a pocket of coins.
0: Right. So these are onomatopes. I just learned that word recently. An onomatope being an onomopoeic word. Oh,
2: that's a great word. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Onomatopes that have moved beyond their onomatopoetic meaning.
2: What about the word itself? Is onomatopoeia an example of itself? Because that would be kind of neat if it was.
1: It would be neat. It's not quite like oxymoron, where the word is actually made up of parts that are itself oxymoronic. But onomatopoeia derives Latin from Greek. Onoma means name. If you are familiar with the term, yeah. onomastics is the science of naming things. That's from the same root as that word. And poean, I believe is how you pronounce it, is the Greek verb for to make That is part of the etymology of our word poet. Ah, that's perfect.
2: Mm I have to say, that the dreamer in me hoped that it had come about from some guy trying to come up with a word or some woman trying to come up with the word and then falling downstairs and the noises they made as they were trying to come up with a word. And, like, somehow that, that, somehow that would be, That reminds
0: it, me of one of my favorite onomonopoetic words, and that is borborigmus. Do you guys uh, know the yes. word right? Sure. Oh borborigmus in English is, a, you know, it's kind of a technical word. It's not a word that gets thrown into everyday conversations. It refers to intestinal rumblings. So, we're all familiar with borborigmus as a phenomenon, sure. I think it's safe to say. But the word in English is not onomonopoetic, but it comes from a Greek word, borborizine. I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that right because I'm pronouncing it like it's German. But that word means to rumble, and that word is thought to be Uh-huh.
3: And it's true that sounds, sounds of animals, sounds of people are behind a lot of these, not just mechanical things like a jingle or a gong or a plink. But we have moo and gobble, and for speech, babble and jabber and mumble yeah. and chatter. I mean, there's a bunch of these.
2: And bird yeah, names, yeah, a lot of animal huge. names.
1: Oh, right. right, are based on the sounds that they make. Cuckoo is certainly yeah. an example. You sure. Know. Whippoorwill. If you ever heard of a whippoorwill, it kind of makes that three-toned sound, and someone decided to come up with the spelling whippoorwill to evoke the sound that the whippoorwill made.
3: Chickadee, probably.
0: Chickadee, definitely.
3: Yeah.
1: Yep. Chickadee, definitely. So a couple of my favorites also from, that are not extended figurative uses like I had talked before, but cliché. The term cliché comes from stereotype printing. It's via French. It's the French interpretation of the sound of a die striking metal.
3: Oh, of wow. course. Sure. I did not know that. Wow. Oh, that's great. I think another
1: one of my favorites, because we use the word gargle to refer to that sound when we splash water in our throat, but the word gargoyle comes from that same idea gargoyles are spouts on buildings that are made right. like animals and it's the sound of rainwater gargling through the opening of the mouth of the creature that it becomes gargoyle
3: oh, <laughs> I, I never knew that i <laughs> yeah.
0: thought those should have a more sinister backstory did you know that there is an onomatopoetic backstory to the word boudoir
1: no. oh my goodness no
0: yeah yeah according to our unabridged dictionary the word boudoir comes from a French word meaning to pout Boudin. or be sulky, and the unabridged dictionary reports that that is probably of imitative <laughs> origin. Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> there's like a longer story there between
3: you know. Yeah, like there's a whole you flash from, fiction how piece. How you
1: got from the yeah, there's a whole story between pouting and nobody not being happy and.
3: And our unabridged dictionary also, from the entry for onomatopoeia, has a curious cross reference to something that's new to me: bow wow theory. And the entry for Bow Wow Theory says a theory that language originated in imitations of natural sounds, such as those of birds, dogs, or thunder. And then it Mm -hmm. says compare Ding Dong Theory. So let's go to (laughs) Ding Dong Theory, which says a theory that language originated out of a natural correspondence between objects of sense perception and the vocal noises, which were part of early humans' reaction to them. So you'd make a noise that corresponded to what you were looking at, I guess. And then this says compare poo-poo theory which is defined as a theory that language originated in interjections which gradually acquired meaning.
2: I'd love to see the intersectionality at a conference of poo-poo theorists, ding-dong theorists, (laughs) and bow-wow theorists. That would really be worth the price of admission.
3: Uh, Well, there's three clearly mid-20th century sort of intellectual domains that I had never heard of, but they're all there. The dictionary is infinite, isn't it?
0: (laughs) There's also a lexical feature, phonus themes, phonus theme that is a common feature of sound that occurs in a group of symbolic words. The professor of English and rhetoric, Richard Norquist, I came across an article that he wrote about phonus themes. English has got a lot of phonus themes, words that begin with S-N, for example. Hmm. There are a whole bunch of them that have to do with the nose, (laughs) sneeze, snout, snot, snort, all of these that have to do with the nose. There are ones that begin with gl that have to do with light, like glimmer and glint and glisten. They're kind of like poetic adjacent words. There's a symbolism in the sound that is then connected to the words. And words can even shift in meaning because of these phonus themes. They can actually kind of push a word in a particular direction. You've got mumble, mutter, grumble, murmur, all of these words that have to do with indistinct speech that all have that mmm sound in them.
1: I'm thinking also of words that don't even have to do with sound, like SL at the beginning of words that refer to things that don't have traction, like slide, slip, slick. SL seems to be this perfect blend for that because it's kind of a slick consonant cluster in its own right. It sort of like rolls off the tongue. And so we then use that to refer to these examples of words where something is not staying in place. That's kind of fascinating. Sure. It's sort of like always been there and you never noticed it. And then it makes perfect sense.
0: Yeah. And then there are also the SL words that have to do with wetness, like slush, wet, slick, slime. Phonus themes, fun. Yeah.
1: Phonus themes are fun.
0: Also, in vowels like E, you know, teeny, there's this sense that that high front vowel sound of E denotes something that's small. Teeny almost sounds smaller than tiny in
1: a weird way, just because of the way you're pronouncing the
0: vowel. The vowel sound is higher. Onomatopes um, are not onomonopoetic.
2: They're not. More's no. the pity.
0: You're listening to Word Matters. I'm Emily Brewster. We'll be back after the break with what happens when you chop the end of a word off. Word Matters is produced by Merriam Webster in collaboration with New England Public Media. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with
2: Byte. I'm and Shea. Do you have a question about the origin, history, or meaning of a word? Email us at wordmatters at m-w dot
3: com. I'm Peter Sokolowski. Join me every day for The Word of the Day, a brief look at the history and definition of one word, available at merriam-webster.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And for more podcasts from New England Public Media, visit the NEPM Podcast Hub at nepm.org.
0: You get disgruntled when people take a perfectly good word and chop off part of it to make a perfectly annoying word? Like making surveil from surveillance. There's a name for this practice. It's called backformation. With any luck, our exploration of the topic with me at the helm will help you feel more um gruntled about the whole thing. Of all the various ways that words come to be, one of my very favorite is the process called backformation. Back formation is when you take an existing word and you remove a prefix or a suffix and you get a new word. So, for example, the word television, that word dates to around 1907, and by 1927, we had the word televise. It's very common to go from a noun to a verb. In this way, back formation, you just chop off that suffix and get the verb. This is a rich way to get verbs in English. We have donate from donation donate dates to late 18th century and donation had been around since the 15th century diagnose came from diagnosis choreograph from choreography and often there's a lag of you know hundreds of years between the formation of one from the other but they don't have to be verbs the noun statistic comes from the other noun statistics and homesick comes from homesickness an adjective from a noun it's a really rich and natural way for words to form One of my very favorites is a little surprising. There's the word escalate. To escalate, as in we let an argument escalate, we let it increase in power. That escalated quickly. (laughs) Yes, that escalated quickly. That dates to only 44 years after the invention of the escalator, which was originally a trademark of the Otis Elevator Company. So we get the word escalate, even though an escalator can go up and down, when something escalates, it only increases in its intensity.
2: We don't have a de-escalator. No, not at my mall. (laughs) But aren't back formations often frowned upon? Yes. Give me one. What's one you know? Burgle is the, the, uh, the most common ones. And some people seem to really dislike burgle.
0: Well, and burglarize is also a back formation. They are both back formations from burglar.
2: Oh, okay.
0: Well, and the funny thing about that pair is that, so burglar had been around since the early 16th century, and then... Burgle and burglarize are both earliest evidences from the
2: 1870s. What about burglariously?
1: <laughs> so burgle was frowned upon even though quite often people will complain about I-Z-E words, you know, right. 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 Various forms. So did people really prefer burglarize over burgle?
0: Well, burgle is used more in British English and burglarize is used more in American English. And it is weird that the longer I's <laughs> term was adopted in American English and burgle I don't know. The first time I heard burgle, I thought it was a joke. It just sounded like such a silly, ridiculous word. But if you think about it, burglarize is also kind of a silly sounding word.
1: So if you steal hamburgers, you're you're hamburgling, <laughs> not hamburglarizing. Exactly. Right? It's funny. I think of a Dennis Johnson story. I can't remember which one it was, but one of the characters avoids both of those verbs. And he says, you can't burgulate your own house. And so somehow he gets the eight in there for burglaration. I don't know, but... Burgle versus burglarize and eschews the problem altogether.
0: Like, what did you call it before burgle and burglarize? You would have to make it be about the noun, right? Or use a verb that's not related to it. A burglar broke in and stole things.
1: Right. What was a burglar doing if you called it a burglar?
0: Right. As editors, I just want to note that the word editor existed for 142 years per the available evidence before there was a verb edit.
2: Wow. That's a long time.
0: Isn't that wild? What were we doing? What were the editors of the world doing, if not editing? We weren't editing. That's a good question. Hacking.
2: (laughs) Other words that you mentioned earlier when we were talking about words that people didn't like is donate. In the 19th century, really got people's knickers in a twist. Richard Grant White wrote, This word, donate, is utterly abominable. One that any lover of simple, honest English cannot hear with patience and without offense. Oliver Bell Bunce, who wrote a book with the great title of Don't, wrote, If one cannot give his church or town library little money without calling it donating, let him, in the name of good English, keep his gift until he has learned better. <laughs> um, I mean, really, people were kind of bent out of shape about this. Well, um, and the
0: word donation was so old, right? right? It was hundreds of years old at that point. And so that surely is what the objection was. It's a degradation of an existing stalwart term.
2: Right. Absolutely. Is it just a matter of if a word is old and we do a recent back formation and people don't like it? Because to me, it always seemed like it was just kind of illogical. Like some back formations are totally fine. Every once in a while, one comes along and everybody goes, don't say
3: that. I think some of them feel completely natural. Like edit. Although we always hate the changes that we notice in language.
2: Like liaise. People don't like liaise from liaison. People don't like incent from incentivize.
0: Commentate. All right. Commentate dates to the late 18th century at least, and it comes from commentator, which dates to the 14th century. But commentate has a much more recent feel to it. I think people would be very surprised to realize that it was so old.
1: We also have the verb comment, which is a different verb. And when people hear commentator, the commentator is one who makes comments. And so the fact that then we then created this new verb sort of in between that wasn't quite comment, but was from commentator, specifically for the job of what a commentator does, which is apparently more than commenting. And so it's almost like you're trying to fill this niche between just commenting, which can have different contexts and different circumstances versus a sports commentator or a news commentator doing commentating.
3: It's a new profession. It needs a new verb.
2: So I mean, do you have like a unified theory of what makes a back formation bad? Is it a combination of age versus kind of chronological discrepancy with suffixes? Is it just happenstance? Which ones do you think are most likely to get censored?
0: I think it's probably a few different things and issues that are also true of complaints that people have about other words that are not back formations. They're the dreaded suffixes, eyes and eight. We just mm-hmm. love to hate. And then there's mm-hmm. the recency thing. We don't like when our words get degraded by new
2: forms. And then there are other factors such as racism. Conversate Mm. was a great example of that. Conversate has been around since at least the very beginning of the 19th century. It's definitely over 200 years old. And, you know, it didn't come up a lot, but it wasn't that big of a deal. And then Biggie Smalls used it, and suddenly people decided that, oh, this is a really bad word. (laughs) The rapper used it. This is destroying English. What's wrong with conversate? It seems pretty self-explanatory, seems useful, and seems like it's no different functionally, from escalate.
0: That's right. Well, and if you look at the alternative, people say, well, we already have the word converse, Mm -hmm. but converse is kind of an outlier as verbs go. There aren't very many prefix verse words. sure. But this versate, that's actually the more normal, that's mm. actually the more regular construction for right. a verb.
2: And Biggie Smalls, I'm not going to put words in his mouth or imagine what he might have felt, but I, I have a hard time imagining him saying converse and having the proper kind of rhythmic structure that his rhymes would typically have. Conversate, if it fits, it seems like it's a perfectly useful word. And we've always made allowances for poets in kind of stretching linguistic forms. Of course. And, and it
3: does sound more poetic. Right, I mean, it's, right. you can play with that, right. and it's easier to rhyme.
2: Right. We tend to make fewer of those allowances for rappers, it seems. Um, no, of course. No. Out of, out <laughs> just a of, few. Of, right. Yeah, just a few. Coincidentally <laughs> right. enough. It's not coincidence, of course. But yeah, Conversate has got that additional thing against it, and people have been complaining about that for a while now.
0: Yeah. Another back formation that I really like is gruntle. Oh, yeah. there we right. go. Oh, I mean, yes. So disgruntle dates to our current earliest evidence for disgruntle is 1682, means to make discontented or ill-humored, but in the 1920s some artful writer coined the word gruntle, like to put into good humor. There already was another word gruntle that writer probably did not know about, and that was a word that just meant to grumble. But the dis in disgruntle, it doesn't mean to do the opposite of. It was an intensifier. So to disgruntle meant to grumble extra. That's what disgruntle, yeah, that's what the word originally meant. But one of the funny things about back formations is that often it's an ill-informed, and it doesn't need to be informed, actually. But we just chop off these suffixes that we imagine sometimes, and prefixes that we imagine, and it doesn't really matter if our understanding of those prefixes or suffixes is correct.
3: Another one is complicit from complicity, which is interesting. You'd think that complicit, the adjective, would almost be like a precondition for the noun, but it's not.
1: Wasn't it uh, P.G. Woodhouse who had fun with gruntled? One of his characters said something like, I could see that if not actually disgruntled, he was far from
2: being gruntled. That's from the Code of the Worcesters.
0: (laughs) Peas, the pea that we eat, the vegetable pea, our modern word is a product of back formation also. The original word was peas, P-E-A-S-E, and it was understood as a mass noun, like salt or butter. You would have some peas, you wouldn't have a pea. And this is why there's also the explanation for the word pisaform, which means shaped like a pea, comes from the same Latin source as our English word pea. Wow. Who knew? Flappable also is another one.
3: From unflappable.
0: Yes. And those are both new. You know, sometimes back formations, there's a bit of a wink about them in their use, like gruntle, I think, and like flappable. Everybody knows the use of the word is a bit of a joke itself. And sometimes with burgle, I think, in American use anyway. Flappable, earliest evidence of that is 1968. And unflappable, meaning not easily upset, only dates to the middle of the 20th century, like 10 years earlier.
1: Emily, you started with the example of escalator, which is kind of fascinating because... There might have been a sense at one point of going upstairs, but if there was, we don't use it that way anymore. We now use escalate to mean to increase, you know, escalating tensions, like the Ron Burgundy quote, that escalated quickly. It's kind of funny that not only did we make the back formation, but then we kind of gave it this whole new identity. You mentioned the Otis Elevator Company, and I assume the verb to elevate already existed before the elevator was invented, right? Do we know that? Yes.
0: Yes. The verb elevate dates to the 15th century, which I'm pretty sure is before the invention of the elevator.
1: Certainly before Otis. Of course, Otis, I think, wasn't really the inventor of the elevator. He was the inventor of the safety elevator. There were ways to get people in a manual way up to the second floor of something, but it was the uh, device that included a safety brake. That was what allowed it to be installed in skyscrapers and things like that. Elevate is another word that also does not mean to go down. You can go up and down in an elevator. But you can only go up when you elevate someone, Mm -hmm. you don't bring them down. You elevate discourse, you bring it up in some way. So that just kind of struck me as an interesting narrowing of use from the back formation.
3: Even though we wink at some of these, like Burgle, there are some that are completely standard, like aristocrat from aristocracy and Mm -hmm. coordinate from coordination and decadent from decadence and diagnose from diagnosis. So a lot of these are totally standard, and we probably imagine them to be issued from the word factory at the same time.
2: Brainwash, from brainwashing.
3: Yeah, yeah. Right. So they become completely standard. This is a really good way to invent a word. The meaning and the, uh, the semantic field is already set and established, the context too. And it just means that they want this flexibility of another part of speech.
0: That's right. And it's one of the things that words that are formed through back formation have going for them as far as them being new coinages is that they're so readily understood. The meaning is very apparent because the morphological structure is readily understood and the meaning of the root word is right
2: there. And
3: so the word's kind of ready to go. Well, that may help with its absorption and inclusion and success as a word.
2: Absolutely. This is chapter one in word coinage for dummies.
0: Go with a back formation. Let us know what you think about Word Matters. Review us on Apple Podcasts or email us at wordmatters at m-w.com. You can also visit us at nepm.org. And for the word of the day and all your general dictionary needs, visit merriam-webster.com. Our theme music is by Tobias Voigt. Artwork by Annie Jacobson. Word Matters is produced by John Vosey and Adam Maid. For Neil Servan, Amon Shea, and Peter Sokolowski, I'm Emily Brewster. Word Matters is produced by Merriam-Webster in collaboration with New England Public Media.